You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I want to read a passage found in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, we started this series talking about fire. Fire. And you see it in the art there. We used fire as a, a correlation with passion because fire and passion are connected throughout the scripture. It, it, the scripture uses this analogy, this imagery of fire to represent our passion. Now, if, I don't know if you've, if, if you've stopped to think about the nature of fire. It's something that we learn from an early age. But what is the main thing that fire does? What is the number one thing, the primary thing that fire does fire burns fire burns all right everybody that's all I have to say today I'm here all year <laughs> next week what an amazing revelation right JD wow fire burns I saw some blank stares like am I missing something <laughs> where is he going where is he going fire burns we don't have that problem here in Connecticut, but uh, many of you know Alini and I lived in Texas for many years, and Texas wildfires are a real threat. Every single summer, there's some kind of fire ban because Texas wildfires are a common threat every single summer, especially in the dry seasons where, when it doesn't rain for a while, wildfires will start and begin all around the state. Um, many uh, states around Texas to suffer that. I don't know if you heard in the news two, about two months ago, there was a huge wildfire in Oklahoma that burned over a million acres and claimed seven lives. Wildfires are wild. Uh, you might remember a couple years ago in California when a wildfire reached a suburban area and people had to evacuate. You remember that? About a thousand homes uh, were burned, over a thousand homes were burned, and people lost everything. What I thought it was interesting when I was doing some digging about wildfires in the United States is that 90% of wildfires in the United States begin by a human, by a person. 90% of them. And if you look at the reasons of how wildfire begins, a wildfire can begin is, I sounded a little Texan there, right? Wildfire. It's the best I can do. Uh, the first, the top reason is campfires that are left unattended. So people go camping, and they set up a fire. They roast marshmallows. They have a good old time. They tell stories by the fire at night, and then they go to sleep in their, in their uh, tents. And they wake up the next morning, and the fire subsided either on ashes or really low, and they think, well, the fire decreased. It's probably going to go out on its own. 
and it doesn't. And people leave, and that starts a wildfire. Second reason why wildfires, uh, or, or that causes wildfires, is unattended activities. In other words, parents just let kids be, and, you know, kids have imagination, and they can start a fire, and it gets out of control, and a wildfire begins. And the third reason that kind of puzzled me, because it's, it was, it was odd, it was bizarre, cigarettes. The third top reason, people go into the woods, smoke a cigarette, they don't put it out. They just throw away the bud and a, a wildfire begins. All because these people that were in the presence of fire overlooked this very simple principle of fire. That fire burns and it'll keep burning until there's nothing else to burn. An unattended fire is not going to go out by itself. It'll continue, continue to burn. Yet, our ability as people to harness fire, to control fire, has produced great, great, great advancements in our society. In fact, if you look back in history, the better we were able to control fire, the more progress we made as a society. Our capacity to harness fire, to control fire, is involved in virtually every activity and everything we produce and consume and enjoy. For example, my beautiful wife and I went out for dinner last Thursday. We went out for dinner and we enjoy a good meal. There's one of our favorite restaurants is Bear Burger in the South End. They serve really good food. And so just us, no kids. After 15 years, we still enjoy each other's company. That's right. And uh, you can clap for that. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I, yeah, you can clap for that. That's good. And so we went out and actually we ran into uh, good friends Malcolm and, and Tanya from Connect Community. They were there. And... We had our meal. It was delicious. We had some dessert. Got back in the car. Went back home to our kids. Simple activity, right? Now think about you. When you go out like that with a friend or a loved one, you get in the car, you go to your favorite restaurant, you eat your food, you come back home. And we don't think about how fire is involved in all that. But whether you used a, a bus or a car or a bicycle, it was fire that refined the metal. It was fire that molded. The, the, the vehicle that you used. If you drove a car there, the car is, it possesses a combustion engine, which basically is controlled explosions inside the engine block that make the pistons move and propel the car forward. Controlled fire right there moves your car. You get to the establishment, and the structure of the establishment, whether it's made of steel or anything else, it's probably there because of our ability to control fire. Tools, machinery, whatever put that place together, the steel uh, behind the walls, the rebars, they were all done because of our ability to control fire. The food you will eat will probably be cooked in a controlled fire, harnessed fire on a stove or an oven. The utensils, the glassware, the plates were made because of our ability to control fire. Think about that for a minute. 
much, much, much of everything that we enjoy and consume exists because we have been able to progressively harness fire and use it for a benefit. The same fire that cooks your food is the fire that propels your car 55 miles per hour down the freeway. Because we don't speed, right? We follow the rules. The same fire that can burn a million acres in a forest can power up a turbine in an airplane and propel that tube, that metal tube, 30,000 feet into the air, carrying hundreds of people and, and lots of luggage and, and packages. Fire, when harnessed, is a good thing. Now, we don't have difficulty understanding the benefits of harnessed fire. We don't have difficulty understanding that it's a good thing to control fire. We understand that. We see the benefits. We enjoy it. But the same is true for passion. And when we think about controlling passion, harnessing passion, the immediate thought is not, oh, that's a freeing statement. The immediate, the immediate thought is, well, that's a bit limiting when we, talk about, when we talk about controlling passion. But let me ask you this. What is better, wildfire or controlled fire? Controlled fire. And the same is true for passion. When we are able to harness passion, when you are able to control it, we can go further. We can see our dreams come to pass. And today I want to focus on this duality of passion. This, this ability that passion has to fire up the good and the bad in us. This ability that passion has to propel us into a tremendous path of breaking through glass ceilings and breaking through limitations and also take us to a bad path. Because passion can do both. Mainly because passion is deeply connected with emotions. Our passion is deeply connected to our emotions and that's where things can get mishandled. Because for many of us, we understand this. That we can, in passion, we can have a passion for charity and we can have a passion for power. We can have passion to help others to help people and we can have a passion to subdue to control people we can have a passion for generosity to want to give want to help and in the same day we can have a passion for greed to withhold to take we can love with a passion and we can lust with a passion we can care with a passion and we can despise with a passion so how how do we harness passion we read it in this scripture where Jesus talks about following his commandments right and this word passion in scripture is interesting because even in scripture the word passion has this dual Meaning, and some scriptures, you can look at the context, 
And you will see that, 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 that the word passion means lust. It means desire for what's forbidden. And the same word passion is used to express zeal, extreme care. And the reason why passion fits both opposed emotions, it's because passion represents intensity. Passion represents that power, that strength from within. Now, you get this today, whether you're someone who's been a Christian, someone who claims to follow Jesus, or maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you haven't been to a meeting like this or heard a talk like this in a long, long time. But you get this. This you get. You understand this. Because at the same time, you can be driving your car in traffic in Stanford, Connecticut, downtown, and you can be telling somebody in the car how much you care for them, and how much you love them, and how special they are for you, to you, and then somebody cuts you off. <laughs> and with the same passion, you can have some not-so-loving feelings on the inside. Isn't that true? You don't have to be a religious, quote-unquote, religious person to experience that. That's a reality. That's true for all of us. The Apostle Paul writes about it. In his letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. And he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. What Paul is talking about here between the spirit and the flesh are two realities, two things within us, two natures that oppose each other. And the word for flesh here actually means, in the original, it means the, 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 the human nature without any influence of God or of the divine. It's your nature, who you are, apart from any godly influence. And the spirit is this part within us that can not only house the life of God, that can not only invite the mind of God into our lives, but it's our ability, our capacity to perceive life and to see what is divine and what is good and what comes from God. That's, those are the two natures. And what Paul is saying here is one will always battle against the other. One will always fight against the other. And this is an interesting, interesting passage because it's so relevant to you and I. It's so relevant to the human condi condition that you can juxtapose it with the story of creation. You can take this passage and look at the story of creation through those lenses. Now, many of you may have come across the story of creation in a not, a posit in not, in a not positive light. Uh, because of, you know, the, the, the claims and, uh, I'll, you know, just a, a, a side note, I don't think there's any proven scientific discovery that disproves Genesis. But if you think that the Genesis story is about the cosmos or the universe, you're missing the point. Because the Genesis story is about you and I. The Genesis story is about our condition. It's about our human 
nature. And in chapter 3, we're not going to read it. You can, you can read it for yourself later. There is, there is a tension. We find a couple battling between two things. A couple who has access to the divine presence. They have access to God's presence every single day. Yet, they're struggling to follow either what they've heard from God or to embrace what they have heard from an animal. Now, for you to comprehend and get the full benefit of the story in Genesis, you have to use this capacity that only human beings have, which is the capacity for imagination. And you need to imagine that there is an animal in the animal kingdom that is so crafty, so capable, that this animal can stand upright and talk to a human being, to a person. But this animal has no spirit in him. This animal is driven by their cravings. This animal is driven by their lust. It's driven by their animal instinct. And now you find Eve in this conundrum, in this spot where she can't decide which reality to embrace. I watched a lecture by a Jewish rabbi, which I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant uh, thought. I can't take credit for it, so I got to give him credit. A uh, Jewish rabbi was sharing the story of creation. He was sharing it in relation to Cain and Abel. And he was trying to explain how Cain came to kill his brother Abel. And he was, he was bringing that motivation back to Eve. Eve and the serpent. Because that crafty animal was the serpent. I believe the name of the rabbi is Mordecai Kraft. And he has this lecture on YouTube. A friend of mine recommended. And he said, hey, I heard your series. And here is uh, something that goes along with that. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to mention this in my message. <laughs> it was worth mentioning. What this rabbi, sh rabbi shared was an incredible, incredible uh, insight. Because what he was saying is that Eve's struggle was not between believing the serpent and believing God. That was a given. God created the serpent, right? Eve's major struggle was between the voice of God speaking to her spirit within and the voice of this animal speaking to the animal within. Eve was struggling to either follow God's commandments, follow and live by his commandments, by what he said, or live by her animal instinct. In other words... What the serpent was really doing to Eve is, why don't you want to be one of us? Why wouldn't you just follow your cravings? Why wouldn't you just let your passion run amok? If you want the fruit, take the fruit and eat it. If you want to eat the forbidden fruit, why not do it? We do it. We just follow our instincts. Why wouldn't you want to be like us? And that struggle is the struggle. Of you and I, isn't it? Isn't that every single person you ever met who struggles between doing what is right and doing 
what is wrong. We struggle between the good and the bad because we have an ability to see the good in the bad and to see the bad in the good. Notice that Eve saw the fruit and she saw that it was good, even though it was bad. And that's who we, what we do, right? When someone is considering marriage, they can vacillate between these two thoughts. They can go, oh, I can't believe I get to spend the rest of my life with this person. Oh. Five minutes later, I can't believe I have to spend the rest of my life with this person. Whose idea was that? We vacillate between the good and the bad because we have this dual nature on the inside. And here's what's important about passion that we need to understand. Passion reaches across both spheres. You can be passionate in the flesh and you can be passionate in the spirit. And my encouragement to you today is that we may be passionate in the spirit is that we are able to harness our passion in the Spirit of God and listen for God's commandments and allow our lives to flow in that. Now, Paul continues in that scripture. He continues, and he makes it really clear. He gives examples. He says, Galatians 5, verses 18 through uh, 24, it says, But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. We'll come, we're going to come back to this later. This is really important. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I'm going to pause right there. Because that list is pretty bad, isn't it? Anybody with a sane mind will listen to that and go like, yeah, that's a bad, that's a bad list. But how many times do you struggle with things in that list every single week? How many times do we battle with that every single week? And how many times can passion drive us toward that every single week? Pretty quiet in the room. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That word passion right there means sufferings, means the malady of the flesh. And the word desire right there means the lust of the flesh, the, the desire for what is forbidden. If you look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit, I don't think there's anybody, whether you've been a Christian or not, whether you're religious, you could be an atheist. You listen, you listen to that list and you go like, yeah, that's good. That's what, I wanted to, that's, that's what I want to live by. That's what I need in my life. And what Paul is saying here, it's very simple. He's saying, listen, you can touch heaven or you can touch earth. 
You can follow the divine or you can become like an animal. You can follow the voice of God or you can follow the voice of the serpent. And every single day, if you follow the work of the flesh, if you apply your passion toward the work of the flesh, your life will be like a wildfire. It's just going to destroy. It's going to burn. It's going to take over. It's going to consume. But if you're able to harness your passion and live by the Spirit, then you will see the fruit of the Spirit come alive in your life, which is love, peace, joy, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, and against these things, there is no law. In other words, you can go as wild as you can, as you want, in these things. You can love as much as you want. You can be as kind as you want. There's no limit to being patient. There's no limit to self-control. There's no limit to kindness. Now, those are things that we want in our lives. Those are things that we want to see come to pass in us, isn't it? So to close our series and to end this message, how do you harness passion? How do you harness and control passion like we do fire? We go back to the passage that we read in the beginning. The words of Jesus where he said, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, many people read this and they say, and they, what, what, what they understand is, how you prove that you love me is by keeping your commandments. That's not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying, and this is something I learned from Pastor Chris Hodges, is that love, loving God, will produce in your life the kind of life that will automatically cause you to fulfill His commandments. That's why Paul said that those who live by the Spirit are not under the law. In other words, if you try to strive to keep God's commandments with your flesh, you're going to fail. That's like the serpent trying to be divine. It's not going to work. But if you are able to hone in the Spirit and the life of God in you, then you will see a kind of passion that is going to break through the ceilings of your life. And just like the ability of harnessing fire that, that we have seen, what, what harnessing fire has done to our society, harnessing passion within will cause you to go as far and as long as you are able to go, as God made you to go. See, God has promises. He has a purpose for your life. And what He wants you to do is to Put away the limitations. God's commandments are not designed to limit you. God didn't give you commandments and guidelines and to limit you. It's not to limit you. It's to propel you into your destiny. It's to launch you into your purpose. It's to get you further than you could have ever gone. On your own strength. God wants you to succeed. He wants you to go further. And how do you do it? By harnessing passion, submitting it to His will, 
How do you do that? Loving God first. I want to encourage you to, this is a very basic principle. And Jesus shared this. He said, if you love the love of your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you would have fulfilled the whole law. You would have fulfilled the whole law. Now, many of us, we don't make that connection. We think that loving God is a religious thing. We think that loving God is for Sunday mornings. We think that loving God is about a moment of worship or scripture. No, 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 no. Loving God will harness the passion and propel you into your destiny. So what, do you, what are you passionate about? Do you want to see hungry kids fed? Love God. Do you want to invent a new product? Do you want to come out with a product that will make people's lives better? Love God. Do you want to lead your division in your, in your work, in your company, to breakthrough, to provide goods and services for your community? Love God. Do you want to be a politician and serve the community with integrity? Love God. Anything you put your hands to, if you want to see it fulfilled to the fullest of its capacity and to the fullest of God's ability, love God. And you will see your passion harnessed to break through ceilings and break through limitations. Anyone? Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand if you don't mind.